Welcome to the True Voice Podcast with your host, LaShawn Smith. Hey, welcome to True Voice, where we learn more about today through past stories from amazing people. We're well into our first season, and we want to thank you all for the support thus far. I'm your host, LaShawn Smith. Here on True Voice, we talk with people who have remarkable stories, stories that entertain, teach, and offer a human perspective on how today's most pressing topics remain deeply connected to our past. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to you joining us each week. Without further ado, let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Bernice Devon. Bernice, how are you? I am well. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad we got everything settled to uh, finally get a chance to chat. Where are you at these days? Where are you physically sitting right now? I am in Philadelphia. I live outside the city. I live over in uh, East Mount Airy, and I've lived in this area for 35 years. My children grew up here. They went to high school. They went off to college, and I'm still here. Representing. All right. So you're, you're a vet of the Philadelphia area. You know yeah. all the stories and the history. Before we come to that, uh, let's go back. Tell me where you were born. I know you were raised in a Christian home. Uh, your father was a preacher. Your uh, mother was a missionary. You uh, traveled around with them. A lot of contributions to the civil rights movement. But uh, I want to hear about you know your childhood experience. What, how was that growing up, and how did that shape you? Oh, golly. I was born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia, over in right off of Tidewater Drive, as you coming in from Virginia Beach. It used to be a dirt street over on Tidewater Drive. We lived there. I was born on, like, on the street called Dolphin Street, right off Tidewater Drive. And when they started redeveloping that area, they built a project. And we moved from Dolphin Street to one of the first projects, which was, I think it was either Moulton Park or Roberts Park, because we live in, in both, right off of Tidewater Drive. And from there, from one project to the next project, from there we moved from the Tidewater Drive area over to Berkeley, right off Berkeley Avenue, which goes over to Granby. And we lived on Walnut Street, right off of, I don't know how I remember all this, Right off Berkeley, we lived on Walnut Street. And we went to church that was on, on Liberty Street, 717 East Liberty Street was an old movie theater. And that's where my father was the pastor there. And mama was the missionary. And of course, as preachers, kids, we had to be the role model for the other young people that were coming along. So if it meant being in church a number of days a week, all day, then we had to be there. And on Sundays, daddy preached. So that meant we had to be at church all day. And then after church, my father was one of those preachers who preached, you know, like hour, hour and a half. So after that, we'd go home for dinner and then we'd have what they call young people's meetings which was usually about four o'clock. Okay. And we go back to church for young people's meeting. And then we'd stay for evening service. That was on Sunday. So that's how I grew up. Now, I grew up under Bishop Johnson and uh, we wore 
as children, we did not have our our dress wasn't as restricted as the adults. But when I think I turned 10, 11, something like that, the the supervisor women here in Philadelphia said that we needed because the scripture said as saints we had to be set apart. So they came up with the idea of long dress, which was eight inches from the ground. And we had to wear those thick cotton stockings. So you can imagine as a 10, 12 year old having to wear clothes that made me appear as a much, much older person. And we had to have our hair covered whenever we went out. Whenever we went out, we always had to have our hair covered. So I had to wear the long dresses and the cotton stockings. And we were bullied. I mean, kids would laugh at us, but we endured. They used to call us BJs, which was wow. for Johnson, <laughs> Bishop Johnson. So I grew up like that until 1963. And my parents went through a domestic separation. And my father ended up leaving Virginia and he came to Philadelphia. And I have four siblings, four of us. My oldest sister, I think she was about 12. She decided that being with my mom would be poor because with my father, Bishop Johnson's church was one of the first mega churches because it was a multi-million dollar uh, organization at that time. We had churches all over the world. And my father was the pastor who was responsible for most of the churches along the East. Daddy moved North, mama stayed South. The church took care of him. I mean, he lived luxuriously. I mean, you know, he didn't have to pay anything. So my sister felt, well, she's gonna go live with daddy because he's gonna have, he's gonna be rich. And mama wasn't. So I stayed with my mom and my younger sister stayed with me. And then in 60, or 65 mom said she wanted us all back together so her sister who was living up here up on napa street uh up in north philadelphia she knew people that had property on german on uh gerard avenue 20th and gerard and he told her well go ahead and let her move in and we ended up moving at 2007 West Gerard Avenue. And that's how uh, my siblings and I actually came back together. And it was only basically for a short time because everybody started going off to school, you know. But in between all of that, that was around the time in the 60s where they were doing the lunch counter things where they had the sit-ins, where the college and high school students would go to like W.T. Grant, Woolworths, J.C. Penney's and sit at the lunch counter because when I grew up, we could not sit at the lunch counter. We had to go around to the side and wait until we would be called, you know, to take our order. So what ended up happening was my parents didn't know my older sister was the youth and college secretary for the NAACP down in Norfolk, and she was a part of going out and getting people on church street going out and getting people to register 
to vote, right? So just before we moved here to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. we wanted to participate in the sit-ins, the civil rights. So my father was what they called a huckster at that time. He got a, a old mail truck and he that he bought a big peanut roasting. My hands are all over the place. He bought a, a peanut roasting machine. And with the money that we raised from selling peanuts, we donated that money to the defense fund for the college to Philadelphia on Gerard Avenue. Up the street is Gerard College, which is Corinthian Avenue, 20th and Corinthian Avenue. And they were demonstrating against the will of Stephen Gerard because here is this magnificent school from kindergarten to 12th grade. And in Stephen Gerard's will, he stated that only often white boys could attend. That's pretty fantastic. Now, in 1954, the NAACP, Roy Wilkins, Case Alexander, and the NAACP tried to get the court to overturn Stephen Gerard's will. And they tried for a number of years. But you got to realize that at that time, the NAACP was more what you might call the bourgeoisie group. Cecil Moore used to call them the teacup hmm. people. And they would not accept the people from... Uh, I guess what you call the the inner city, the hood, urban, you know. So on May 1st, 1965, Cecil Moore alone. Now, we hadn't moved up here then. We came after they started. They started marching on May 1st. And we came in June because we had to to finish school. Gerard Avenue, 17 days around the world. And it's a funny thing when we would have our meeting before we before my sisters and I joined, it was supposed to be a surprise that there was going to be picketing at Gerard College. But when they got at Gerard College, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but when they got to Gerard College, it was wall-to-wall police officers. Somebody within the inner group of Cecil Moore's organization was an informant for the police. Like I said, there was an informant within our, in the organization, because when they got up to Gerard College, it was police officers already there uh, surrounding the wall. But anyway, we still, we marched, we picketed at Gerard College. I was like, I think I was 16, 16 when I, when we started. So we marched for seven months. 17 days. The things that the police officers would do, they would, they had their jeeps and they would turn their jeeps around so that, because they were picketers that stayed at night, they would turn the jeeps around so that, and press the gas so the exhaust would make people sick. They would do that. They would intimidate, like, you know, say different things. We were basically teenagers. So they would say things that would cause teenagers to be upset to speak back to them. So Cecil Moore had to go and correct that. One of the things that 
stood out. And then the, the time that in August, Dr. King came to Gerard College because it was a big thing about Dr. King and Cecil Moore, who was president of the NAACP at that time. There was a few, you know, they didn't get along. So they brought Dr. King to Philadelphia and he spoke at Gerard College. Oh my God, the crowd was, was huge. It was huge. And he spoke. I got a chance to see him. But at that time, most of the men were kind of like in charge of everything. So I didn't get a chance to get up on the platform exactly where he was, but I got close enough to say, ah, I see Dr. King. I could touch Dr. King. That was really nice. Two weeks, two, about two weeks after he left, you remember the movie Selma and the bloody, the bloody Monday? Well, in August of that, of 65, I think it was two weeks after Dr. King left, we were out demonstrating. And at that time, the deputy commissioner's name was Frank Rizzo. And if you've lived in Philly, then you've heard, you know they removed that statue of him down in Center City. Yeah, yeah, they took that statue down. So he was deputy commissioner. He was, he was a brutal person. He ordered the people out demonstrate. It was peaceful. They were carrying signs. They were in the boundaries that we were permitted to be in. He ordered, he said, we're going to stop this right now. Yeah. He ordered the police to rush the crowd. There was women, children, everybody was out there. He ordered them to rush the crowd. There were police officers on motorcycles. There were police officers on horseback. There were police officers from the canine unit with dogs. He told them to break it up and they rushed the crowd. The, the police officers said that she uh, resisted arrest. They were going to arrest her and she ran. Debbie had eight charges against resisting arrest, uh, obstruction. To make a long story short, they took my sister, who was 14, to the hospital, which was Philadelphia General Hospital at that time. They took her down there. They treated her for the dog bites. And they transferred her to the juvenile facility, which was on the parkway. And if you lived here in Philly, you know where the Barnes Foundation art place is. That facility used to be uh, the Youth Study Center. Debbie was taken there. And Cecil Moore came. And he got her out. My mother had to come. And I think they put Debbie on like six months probation or something like that. But he had them drop all of those charges against her because she was the victim. She was the one who was knocked down and brutalized by the dogs. So like I said, I did not get arrested at Gerard College, but I got arrested at 30th Street post office under, I was working with four. The group I was with, we were called the Young Militants. <laughs> anytime, anytime an organization needed people to come out and protest for them, they would call our group. It was just a group of us. 
and we would go we protested against slum lords we protested against uh, at that time trailway wasn't hiring a lot of black people we protested against them we protested against the union because they were not hiring experienced or qualified workers to work with the union so anytime people needed somebody to protest they were called the young Middleton. so core wanted us we they there was the practice at the post office where they were not promoting qualified black or people of color i'd say into higher positions so they asked us core was congress of racial equality they asked us to come and protest at the post office. at that time i think i was i was about 17 18 something like that so we all went now cecil moore was with the NAAP and he said don't do it but we went anyway because we were the young militants and you know we had to right. go out and raise the fist so we went to the post office and it's a funny because you know i even though i wasn't in the church my mom still had a dress code so when i went to the post office i changed my clothes and i had this little short skirt on and i had on a sweatshirt that i had cut the sleeves out and i let people write black power slogans all over it i wore my hair in a bush so my hair was in this bush so when we get to the post office we sit down at the main entrance and we blocked the entrance we locked uh, our arms and we started saying we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around so we sit there and we ain't moving so at that time they had organized what they called the civil disobedience squad and they were supposed to be the liaison between the police i guess and the community or the protesters so lieutenant fenso was the first leader of the that unit so he came over to us he remembered us from gerard college we weren't demonstrating at gerard college because cecil said we're going to see what the court have to do and in the meantime cecil moore was interviewing qualified young black boys so that they would once the court overturned the will they would be able to attend gerard college so Denzel came over to us and he said listen you know in a while you all gonna have to move because once the commissioner comes and he met frank rizzo i can't do anything so i said well that's it for me because i knew that if i got arrested my mama was gonna have a fit so but i i couldn't get up because we were all locked in horns and of course frank rizzo came and he said lock them all up and we were still locked we were still singing and they put us in one of those big police petty wet oh my god it was terrible in there so we get in there and we still singing the freedom songs and we shall not be moving na 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 cecil got a shotgun you know we were saying all that they take us down to eighth and race and it's not real <laughs> until they start fingerprinting you and booking you and so they they take us in and i stiffen my fingers because i wasn't going to get fingerprint and was the, the lady there she told me she said honey i will break your fingers at that time you would put your fingers on an ink pad and they would 
take your fingerprints and they took your picture. Now I want you imagine when we got out of the back of that truck, that big truck, which was full of, oh, it was terrible. We were stomping our feet and as we stomped our feet, dust was coming. And when I got out of that truck and I looked at my hair, I had little net uh, uh, rust pieces all in my hair. I think I had been oh, crying. Yeah, in the paddy wagon. I had rust all in my hair. My face was all sweaty. It was just a mess. So they put us in a cell. When they closed the door to the cell, <laughs> reality starts to set in that you are now in jail. But we didn't, we didn't stay in long because Cecil Moore came. And of course, Cecil, what they, Cecil cussed them out, as old folks say. And he told them, get my babies out of here. And at that time, he, uh, Joe Coleman, I think this was before he became city councilman. Joe Coleman and Bill Mathers were the, the president uh, and chairman of CORE here in Philadelphia. They had said, well, we're going to let them stay, you know, to fight the battle. And Cecil said, no, get them out. So Cecil got us out. And as I'm coming out, he looks down at me. And he says, your mama's out there. And I was like, oh, my God. My mother was standing out there at the race in her missionary white. She was like, one of her friends told her that it was a federal offense and that we would get locked up. We would be going to jail for five years. So her anger wasn't there because she was worried. But when we got home, mama had to come to Jesus you know so that was that was the only time that um i got arrested for demonstrating but as time went on you know we went through those stages where we did the peaceful demonstrating and then we were the young militants and then you move to that afrocentric stage we are going back to africa we're going to have african names we're going to wear african clothes we're going to wear afro we're going to get our nose pierced we're going we went through all of those stages with my mom right. and may she rest in peace. She bared with us, you know, she, she walked through it with us. And I'm thankful that I went through the Afrocentric. I was going to be in Yoruba and I was given a Yoruba name, uh, a Wumi Olori. I was given that a queen who loves children. I think that's how it goes. But, but yeah, Queen Olori is Queen. You can put that in front of a woman. So it will be Queen Iwumi. So from that, after we went through the Afrocentric stage, it was the real Black Power movement where Stokely Carmichael and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating came out and said, what we need is Black Power. And it went from that stage to the Nation of Islam, which was, I'm moving up. I'm trying to keep those years straight. I went into the Nation of Islam around 74. And I stayed in the Nation of Islam for about five years. I was in the Nation of Islam when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad passed. May he rest in peace. And his son, Imam Wallace D. Muhammad, he came in as the person in charge. Now, when he came in, 
he started making a lot of changes in the nation of Islam because he and Malcolm X were close friends and they had gone to Mecca and they saw that Muslims were totally different in Mecca as compared to the Muslim here. The Islam that they were teaching was Islam. In the nation of Islam, it was not the same as the East in Mecca. So that was the divide that came about between the messenger's son along with uh, Malcolm and those who were still with the nation of Islam who was Minister Farrakhan. And he kind of went along to it because they had intermarried. Wallace's son married or his daughter was married into Farrakhan's family. So now it's a family divide that will come about. So the messenger's son, he changed the name of the nation of Islam to the world community of Islam, which meant white people could now, white Muslims could now become a part of the nation. And that was the split. Then Minister Farrakhan stayed for a while, but he ended up leaving and reorganizing the nation of Islam. Whilst I was in the nation of Islam, I went through what they call MGT, which is Muslim Girl Training. And it teaches you Muslim principles that they had not totally aligned with Islam from the East. It wasn't the same as that. As a matter of fact, it was rare that they taught from the Quran. A lot of times they taught from the Bible, which was strange for people who were Muslim. I stayed in a nation of Islam. One of the good things that happened in the nation of Islam, we were able to change our names. Again, my name was Bernice Foray. And when Wallace came in, he said, everyone should have Muslim names. And I was given the name Khalila Mumbashir. And Khalila is a person of faith, a teacher, a mentor. I became one of the first female ministers in the world community of Islam under Wallace D. Muhammad. I taught at Muhammad's temple number 12, which was on, uh, they had two, one on uh, Susquehanna Avenue and one at Germantown and Butler. I was teaching at Germantown and Butler. I was also a teacher in the elementary school, Sister Claire Muhammad Elementary School at that time, which was at on Susquehanna Avenue. Like I said, I stayed there. And then when things started changing, the element, the environment, started changing. I started seeing a different kind of people coming into the nation of Islam. But one of the things that I treasure from being in, in the nation was I was introduced to modeling. And from that, I was able to travel. I was able to meet a lot of top fashion models such as Naomi Sims, may she rest in peace. Uh, oh God, I can't think of names now. Beverly Johnson, Cooper, Lloyd. So I was in New York for the World Modeling Association had a competition and our group was called Jewel Modeling for, Mo for Muslims. And we were invited to go up and I was able to do that. And from that, that's how I got to meet 
the really top fashion models. It was really great. They were nice to me. They they were nice to me. I'm only five five. I'm looking up at them. They're like five eleven, you know, six one, and they're looking down at me. And they were encouraging me. They were encouraging me. The thing was, I'm starting on the tail end. I was 38 years old, and a lot of them started as teenagers. But they wished me well. They gave me the autograph and all of that. From that, I worked with the Miss Black America pageant, the one when they had one here in Philadelphia. I was one of the coordinators, along with Jay Morris Anderson, who is the uh, founder and CEO of the Miss Black America pageant. And he also has a, a publishing uh, dictionary for models. I was the co-director of that. But along with all of that, because I was married and I had children, that was taking a lot from the home. So I had to put the modeling aside. And I did that for a number of years. For a number of years, I put it aside. And then when I was with my second husband, when things started not being great in that marriage, I got a job. I was working for one of the large pharmaceutical companies. I don't know if I can say the name or not, but they make Tylenol. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I started working for them in 1980 and I worked all the way. I, I was with them for over 25 years. And wow. they were doing uh, what they call a restructuring. And they offered, or not offered, they gave a retirement package, which I had to accept either that or go out on unemployment. So I said, okay, I'll take the package. So I took the package. And after retirement, you know, you kind of say, well, what am I going to do now? So I found things to do. I was an executive driver, a chauffeur for Boston Coach. I got a chance to meet a lot of CEOs from the big companies, which was really nice. After that- Tell, tell, I, me, tell me one of the interesting people that you met during that job. I met the CEO from Fabergé, who was here. An entertaining, a, a CEO from one of the entertainment companies. He wasn't very nice. In my car, I used to keep bottled water, those little teeny mugs, and I would have little little uh, glasses that they didn't want to drink out of the I would have them and I would keep them on ice and I would put little candies in the back so that they would have this one person the, from the entertainment. I drove him from the airport down to Rittenhouse Square, that building that apartment building down there he ate up all the candy and then <laughs> he ate up he, some snacks. Yeah, he, he ate up all, all the candy and then he says to me well i'm sure you have more but i give you a tip but it's built into your feet and he got out of the car i was so angry i was so angry but you know you meet people you know, it goes like that. I was doing that on the weekend, but I, I had to let that go because I had became the guardian of one of my relatives' child because she had abandoned him. He was like a year and a half. 
So I took him in and I just said, well, I'll just take care. I'll, you know, I'll take care. But that, that was like, I, and I kind of jumped ahead of myself. I took him in before I retired. So that okay. meant that I had to get him to date. And I had just turned, I think it was either 50 or 55. And I'm like, Lord, is this a joke? But as opposed to letting him go into the system, I thought, well, it's best that he stay with the family. So I took him in. And as a driver on the weekend, it became a hassle because, well, I kept him and then I retired and, and then I became the driver. But he was in daycare and camp at that time because I had retired. And I retired in 2004. Yeah. And he was in camp. So I figured, okay. So, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, I'll go pick him up. I'll do this. They, they you know, it, it fell through the loop. So, so I ended up having to let the driving on the weekend go. So now I got to figure out what I'm going to do now because I don't want to just sit at home. There were a couple of times where the company called me back as a contract. And I did that for maybe six months, nine months, something like that. And then my sister has a daycare and she needed extra help in the daycare. So I said, well, okay, I'll do that. So I did that for another length of time. And then she got things settled with the daycare. And then I went to another daycare because they needed someone and they got settled. And my daughter said, well, mom, you are a certified daycare person. Why don't you do that at home? Because she had three children. So I said, well, okay. So I turned my dining room into a daycare center. I had charts and little kid chairs and everything in the daycare. So I did that until the last one started school. And I think he'll be, he'll be 14 next month. So he's in the eighth grade. So once he got in kindergarten, so that was like, what, eight years ago. So once he got in kindergarten, that's when I, um, I said, now I need something else to do. So I really didn't do anything else for a while. And then a friend of mine has a boutique. So she said, Bern, listen, why don't you come and work in a boutique? So I said, well, I don't know anything about retail. I mean, so she just said it's easy. So that's what I did. And I learned the retail business. I learned how to do window dressing. So that was exciting. That was exciting. She did a couple of fashion shows. We did that. And then I thought, well, I want something else to do. I want something else to do. And it just so happened that I was on Facebook and I saw an advertisement for this model group called Fabulosity. And they said, you know, come and audition. So I thought, hey, what I got to lose? It's been, what, 30 years since I've done this. So I went and I told them, I said, I just, you know, I'm just coming to see, you know, what's going on. So I took a seat and I watched them walk. And I'm saying to myself, I can still do that. So the model coordinator, she said, all right, Miss Bernice, you've seen enough. Let's see you walk. So I'm thinking, oh my God, now my confidence has dropped because now I got to do it, right? So I get up and I walk. 
I walked, I did the turn, I walked back, and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. This was the summer 2019. Okay. August 2019. So I'm like, okay. So they said, well, welcome to the group. I'm like, welcome to the group. They say, oh yeah, you're in the group. So from that time on, we started doing shows and I started modeling again. And we, before the pandemic last year, we were doing shows at uh, Friday on City Avenue. Thank God it's, it's Friday, TGIF, on City Avenue where uh, local designers would come and you know have their wares and we would model them and then i got an opportunity to model for ray darton and they are a husband and wife team from nigeria and they are they're they're located out in california and they come to philadelphia they have what they call road shows so they did the show here in philadelphia at the power plant downtown so I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm the oldest one, you know, always the oldest one, you know. They would call me, they would call me Queen B. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not Queen B. It's only one Queen B, and that's Beyonce. We ain't, we ain't getting this twisted. We ain't starting nothing here, you know. So they would call me Miss B or Lady B. I'm like, okay, we can, we can do Lady B, but we're not doing that Queen B stuff. So I did the show. For Ray Darden, which was really nice. And that really built my confidence up because that was an actual fashion show, you know. So we did that show. And then from that point on, I've done other shows with our group. Now, we were supposed to do shows up until the end of the year at TGIF. And then in September of this year, we were supposed to do a, a show with Trenton Fashion Week, but that got canceled. Everything ended up being canceled. All of the rehearsals, I rehearsal. I went to the rehearsal. They said, God, lady, we love you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm always the oldest. But they say, hey, look, you got it going on. I'm like, they, I passed the audition. I was like, oh my God, I passed it. Because they had me walk back and forth. And when you do this, you're in heels, you know? So I'm walking back and forth, back and forth. They had me team up with little children. I had to walk with them, with teenagers, with other women, but I passed the audition. They said, we'll see you for the show. And I'm like, okay, good, great, we're on the road. So unfortunately, that show and a couple of other shows were canceled because of the pandemic. But they said that for the Trenton, New Jersey's fashion show, they said, we're still keeping you for that. Don't book anything. That's supposed to be May of 2021. That show, and I went to one of the designers who's supposed to design for my group, Philly Fabulosity. She said, listen, Miss Bernice, I'm going to add you as one of my feature models because look, you got it. I'm like, I don't know what I got, but I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> so when I've been booked for different fashion shows, but one other thing, 
at Ray Darden's fashion show. They took a picture of me when I came out. I'm wearing, uh, I think, I don't know if I sent it to you guys or not. I'm wearing a blue dress and I had blue jeans on with some little black booty that we call them booty boots, okay? And that photograph, when that was taken, I couldn't find who, because so many photographers there, you know? So I was trying to find who took the picture, but I couldn't find, and I didn't know that it was going to be published. And I just happened to go on Instagram and Ray Darden had published that picture of me at that fashion show. I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. They have added that picture of me in their catalog. I don't know where I'm gonna get any money for it or not, but they've added that picture of me, not only on Instagram, on Instagram, it has close to 3,000 likes. On Facebook, I follow it on Facebook, it has over 10,000 likes. 820 comments and 546 shares. I was like, I almost passed out. So what I did was on, on Facebook, I went to the comment section and what I've been doing where people have complimented me, I've responded to their compliments. So, so far, I think I've done over a hundred responses, <laughs> but I think that when people give that energy to you that is necessary to give it back to them to let them know that you appreciate what they've done and i and i also sent a message to ray darden group to let them know i, I appreciate that because it puts me out there as a senior model to be out there uh doing this i don't know how many other senior models out there i'm 72 and one of the things that I feared when I started doing this was that I wouldn't be able to keep up with the younger models, that I would not be body shape <laughs> compared to them. But when I looked, I'm like, whoa, some of them, I look better. <laughs> I look better than them, body shape. I mean, you know, I was like, what am I worried about? So. That, looking at that, seeing that I'm as able as some of them are. And one of the photographers told me, he said, Miss Bernice, look, I got models that are younger than you, but they don't do a half as good as you. And he tell people, I have a 72-year-old model that's on. I'm like, Joe, don't be telling people that. He said, no, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put it out there because you are you are doing it and you get credit for that. So that's where I am now. I'm pushing the model thing. I have two pages on Instagram. I have one where I'm just Miss Bernice, uh, where I put just information. And then I have Miss B, Miss Bernice underscore black72 silver hair model and i've been getting <laughs> i've been getting i just started that one but uh, it's building and i'm glad to see that so i that's what i'm doing i'm building as one one model told me 
build your brand. Do things to keep you out there. So I keep me out there on my regular page, which is Bernice, Bernice, B-E-R-N-Y-C-E and B-E-R-N-I-C-E underscore uh, Ms. 72. I had to put the 72 on it because I keep getting all these requests from these young guys. I'm like, come on, please. Y'all can see. <laughs> I had to put a, a PSA message on that says, listen, if you're not 65, 60 to 65 and over, then I put, well, okay, 55. And you're looking for romance. It ain't happening here. Okay. So, but a lot of my friends, they say, girl, are you crazy? I said, look, you don't know. I'll be getting these hits from these young guys. I had to, you know, tell them. But they still, they still, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, y'all, please. Then I put, at the end of my page, I put Mama B. <laughs> I thought that would, but I'm just saying, I'll just deal with it as it comes. And if it gets out of hand, I'll just block them or, you know, delete it. But it's been a lot of fun on my Bernice page and on my model page. I try to keep that up as well to, you know, let them see what I'm, I'm doing, what shows I'm doing. If there are other uh, modeling agencies that are out there, I friend them so that I can be connected. If there are other uh, senior models out there. Now, there's a new group called the Silver Fox Squad, and they're, that's a group of black men. So they have their thing. So what I'm, I'm getting with are women who are senior women who are interested in modeling. Not a lot of them are out there doing it, but I have the time, I have the energy, I have a good look. So, and then my hair, <laughs> most people remember me because I keep my hair up, you know, I guess my swag. So that's, <laughs> that's me, that's my whole, that's where I am now. Oh, one other thing, during the civil rights movement, and I, and I think I should, to talk about that. The group I'm with, you remember I said we were the young militants? Well, we're still together. We've lost some of our group, but it's a small group of us. We're, you know, all of us in the same age group. We did a documentary for Sam Cass History Maker Production. Sam Cass, I, I don't know whether you were in Philadelphia here or not, when he was trying to run for mayor. So, so he has a production company called History Maker. And they wanted to do the documentary on Gerard College. And they called, they called us in. We're called the Cecil B. Moore Philadelphia Freedom Fight. We, we're no longer the young military, so we can't be <laughs> running all around doing that no more. But we, do, we still uh, get involved. We go and speak at different organizations. Uh, we go to schools. And if we're called in as mentors, we do that. We go to schools and we share our civil rights experience and we answer questions. We let them do march around. We teach them the freedom songs, that whole thing. They treat us like celebrities. It's unbelievable. But from the documentary, it was submitted to the Academy, the National Academy of Arts and Science. And it was accepted and we won. They won an Emmy for 
documentary. It's a three-part documentary. And they won an Emmy. So I won an Emmy for participating in that documentary. And wherever we go to speak, we always take that Emmy with us because, you know, yes, yes. I was invited out to California State University at Channel Island to speak. And I met them, the group we were, my sisters and I were down at the African-American Smithsonian down in Washington. And my sister said, take it with you. I'm like, for what? She said, just take it anyway. So I took it and there is a booth that you go in and you tell your story. And I was telling the story and I had the image. And when I came out, there was these students from California and their sponsor invited me out to speak. And I was invited out to California to speak. Unfortunately, it was when they had that forest fire in LA. Yeah. And the campus was two miles from where the forest fire was leading. And we had to evacuate. It was funny because the sister I was with, we had to ride through an area that was real smoky. And I was like, oh my God. She said, Miss Bernice, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you through. I'm going to get you through it. I just, I was like, oh my God. Oh, oh, it was so smoky. It was terrible. But we made through it. But I did get a chance to speak to a, a group of them. We went out to dinner and I told them, well, since I wasn't able to speak the, to the entire group when we were out at dinner, I took all of my stuff with me, my articles and photographs, everything that I had on the civil rights movement, I took out there with me. And after dinner, I gave a presentation and I had the Emmy and they passed the Emmy around. <laughs> they took a picture with the Emmy. So whenever we go anywhere, we take the Emmy with us because it gives people an opportunity to take a picture, not only with the Emmy, but they wanna take a picture with the freedom fighters. But we let them take the picture. I was at my daughter's school to speak and I had the Emmy. And all of the children rushed up and they took a picture. They were hugging me. It was, it's, it's just so, it's rewarding. And, you know, when I think about it, when we were demonstrating, I never thought that I would be treated, you know, that people would want to take a picture with me, that I would be invited to speak out of state, around the state. But at 15, you don't, you don't think about what's ahead of you. So when, whenever we go and speak to the students, we let them know that we never thought, because they asked us, well, did you think? That, no, we never thought that at this stage in my life that I would be receiving, I don't know, accolades or kudos from the city. We received citations from city council here in Philadelphia for our participation in the civil rights movement at Girard College. And I also received the citation from the city, city council, because in 1967 was when the students were demonstrating against the school district for black history in the schools. I was a part of that. I wasn't out front, I was behind the scene, making phone calls, helping to organize. So. I received the salutation for participating as well. So I'm thankful for, you know, 
whatever other contributions that I've made towards the civil rights movement, not only just here, but our little peanut bit down in, in Norfolk, Virginia, which led up to our participation and our still participation. And they don't say really say civil rights movement, they say the human rights movement now. I went out, uh, they were demonstrating on Juneteenth here. They didn't have a big celebration. So I invited folks on Facebook to meet me at City Hall for Juneteenth to just to dress up Afrocentric and we would just walk around City Hall. Nobody nobody showed up. <laughs> no, nobody showed up. But I went, I made a sign, and I walked around Philadelphia's City Hall for two and a half hours with my son. And that was Juneteenth celebration for me because there were people who came before me, like Fannie Lou Hamer, who came before me, like Mrs. Mrs. Palmer, Bertie Palmer here in Philadelphia. Those women who came before me, I stand on their shoulders. So for me to march on Juneteenth, it was it was important because even before the Fannie Lou Hamers and the Angela Davis and all of the other people who spoke out, I came along and I was able to participate in the civil rights movement. I was able to do it. So that that's where I'm now. As a matter of fact, our group has been invited to speak with some high school students and we're going to do a zoom meeting on that they want to talk about our involvement how we felt about it yeah i finished high school <laughs> i finished high school as a matter of fact in high school they used to call me freedom girl because i cut my hair in a bush because i wanted to look like nina simone and abby lincoln and you know aretha franklin everybody was getting their freedom bush so at my school, I went to Simon Grass and they started calling me Freedom Girl. So it goes back and I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative of where I am now. We met with the Philadelphia Mural Art Committee and they're going to do a mural art on one of the buildings. I think it's gonna be uh, at 22nd and Cecil B. Moore. Right across the street is a recreation center, Martin Luther King. So across from that, they're looking at that building to put a mural, and they're going to put us up on the mural. I'm like, can I help paint? Can I help do something? <laughs> yeah, so they said, yeah, Miss Bernice, just come ready. I said, hey, look, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to tie my hair down, put on some jeans, my work shoes, and I'm going to be there. So they say, yeah, as soon as they get their okay from parts and recreation, then they're going to start the mural. And I asked them, how is that done? It's done in peace. You, you do the artwork and then they, they put it up, you know, like that. So I told them, I said, even if y'all was going to paint something, I want to get up there and paint too. Not so high, but I want to help. So they say, yeah, Mr. Nice, you'll be able to, uh, to do that. So that's where I am between 
speaking and working and mentoring, working meaning with organization, with my organization and speaking to uh, different organizations. I'm doing that and the modeling thing. So as soon as the pandemic is over, then I'm looking forward to started, you know, starting to do runway modeling again. So that's great. That's me. Well, <laughs> it's been great listening to your story. I think uh, one of the fantastic things, uh, almost everyone I talk to, there becomes this thread that multiple points in their life start to connect to each other. And, uh, you know, with you, it's fantastic to see the moments, even as a teenager, that you were inspiring others, right? You had the courage to get out there, both fight for people and to inspire others to take action. And, you know, now as a senior model, you're out there, you still have the swag. That's why they want you and you're still inspiring people. And so that's fantastic. Thanks again for joining us today, sharing your story. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for for your patience, you know, for us. You know, yeah, we got we had some technical point. difficulties, but we got it sorted. Okay, and you were champion. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely, and we're going to make sure that we get in the show notes links to your social profiles if anyone wants to check you out and follow you. Okay. For everyone uh, joining us uh, today, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. As usual, if you have any comments or suggestions, please reach out at hello at truevoice.com. I'm Lashawn. Thanks again, and remember. Dream big, stay curious, and always share your true voice. See you next time. This is True Voice.